This is Intern Weekend. They're graduating next service. They've been uh, serving like slaves for the past nine months, and today you get the opportunity to hear from the youngest people we've ever had preach at Heart of the City Church, and believe me, they are ready. They already proved that the first two services, so DJ, once you hit that track, I'm going to introduce to you your preachers for the day. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I want you to welcome to the main stage. He comes from Spokane, Washington, standing tall at five foot two inches and three quarter. He boasts of a, a humble 139.5 pounds. Don't be deceived. His bite is stronger than his bark. They call him Jeremy, the theologian, Jeremy Golden. Originally from Denver, Colorado, though she grew up in small town Idaho. Uh, her home church was in her home, but now Heart of the City is her home. She might look like a dove on the outside, but she's powerful as a lion. Welcome to the stage, Tori the Terror. She comes from Pullman, Washington originally. They call her the Devil Killer Kate. Nobody's ever called her that. Her whole family might look calm, but she can preach the paint off the wall. Welcome to the stage, Caitlin Carlson. Finally, ladies and gentlemen, this man comes from little itty bitty tiny little deary Idaho. But we all know he isn't little. Standing tall at six foot ten inches. Yes, he does play basketball. They call him the gentle giant. These guys are awesome. Chances are you have been served by them in the past nine months, whether you know it or not. So will you put your hands together for them one last time, and then they're going to preach. Um, before I get into the message, I felt like I had a word for someone. Um, you in the white button-up shirt with the black under, little, yep, you. Um, I just, I feel like, I think the first time I saw you was at The Sound uh, a few months ago. I think that was your first service, but if I'm, if I'm wrong, I am. But uh, I have a scripture for you. I feel like uh, God has seen your diligence in coming uh, and, and your faithfulness in serving him. And uh, this, is, uh, this is an area, the scripture is when uh, Ananias approaches Paul. And he says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I just felt like God has seen your diligence and he says go. He's seen you and your diligence in, in learning about him and knowing about him, but he says go. He has such greater plans for you. He has such a greater destiny than you even know right now and that we would ever know. But he says go and be that instrument to the world. Okay. We're going to go ahead and start um, in the very first uh, book of the Bible, in the very first verse, if you want to turn there. All our scriptures are going to be on the back wall, and um, we're not going to really take time to pause and flip to them. They'll just appear, um, so uh, bear with us in that, um, but we're going to go ahead and start in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for today. Father, we pray that you would uh, speak through us. 
Father, that your glory would be revealed. Your Holy Spirit would change hearts and lives today. Father, I pray that we would not leave these doors the same as we came in. Father, speak to us, and all the glory is to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God created light. He separated the waters. Oceans were formed. Stars and moons uh, were, were spoken into existence. Land appeared. And then God created all the, the living sea creatures. And then on the sixth day, the first half of it, he created all living animals, all living land animals. And then God said um, all of this was good in his sight. God said all of this was good. And we'll get back to that in a minute. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock um, and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And what was different about this creation is that God specifically said that we were very good. We were very good. He created us different than he had created everything else. Even though it was magnificent, he had created us very good. Isn't God just so creative? The, the title of my section is The Creative God. We're going to take a, a few minutes and, and just look at the complexity and the creativity that God had in his creation and that he still does today. Uh, as we were sitting around um, working on these sermons, I was, I was thinking about all the different animals that God created and how magnificent they were. Animals such as the dolphin, the lion, the tiger, and the bear. And, and also uh, animals such as the giraffe and, and the eagle and the cheetah. Uh, I, I view the eagle as one of the most uh, magnificent uh, birds in the, the kingdom of, of flying birds. Um, <laughs> And you'll, you'll get back, because there's, there's this one bird that I wonder, God, why did you really make it? And it's like, really, God, an ostrich? Like, it's a flamingo-legged, bird-bodied, giraffe-necked bird that can't even fly. Like, what is its purpose? What is it for? And to think that its eyeball is bigger than its brain, like... What's the purpose of being able to see if you can't even comprehend anything that you're seeing? We're going we're gonna to kind of switch gears and, and talk about the complexity of God's creation and that of the human eye. So we just talked about how large the um, ostrich eye is compared to its brain. Now we're going to look at the complexity of the human eye. Did you know that um, the, the eye, without the brain telling it, would see everything upside down? Um, we would see everything, I would see this room upside down and I probably wouldn't be able to stand because I'd probably fall over. Um, but God created a, a part in our brain that would actually flip our sight so that we would see um, right side up. And they actually make these, uh, these glasses that you can put on that actually flip it to the way that your eyes would see if your brain didn't tell you. And what's awesome about God is over a time, he'll actually, the, the brain will actually tell your eyes to see through those glasses the right way up. It's just amazing to see how creative God is and, and how we can try and uh, manufacture our sight to be the regular, but he overcomes that with his power in the way that he created our mind. 
And then uh, as I was, I was thinking about the eye, I, I just figured I had two of them. So I didn't really think about all the facts and the, the details of the eye. But did you guys know that the, the eye has more than two million working parts? It's just amazing to, to think that there's two million working parts just in the eye. And to think that all those, those parts working together is, is how our eyes see properly. Did you know that the human eye has a capability of seeing at a resolution of 576 megapixels? That is 11 and a half times more than the highest camera that I found, which has the, the megapixels of 50. And under the right conditions, this one blew my mind, the eye is capable of seeing the light of a candle at a distance of 14 miles away. I can't even imagine seeing a spotlight from 14 miles away, let alone the light of a candle. And did you, did you know that if you, we climbed into a, a spaceship and traveled at the, the speed of light, that, which is 186,000 miles per second, that we, would, we could go around the world in seven seconds, or seven, seven times in one second. We would pass the moon in two seconds. We would pass Mars in four minutes and Pluto in five hours. Just to, to think of the expanse of the universe that God has, the many millions and millions of miles that we could travel and still not reach an end, it's just so amazing the vastness of his, his imagination and, and his design. But what's so spectacular about it all, all those vast stars and planets, was that he created mankind. He created mankind in his own image. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. I was thinking a couple, a couple days ago about breathing out of the dust. God took what was good, made us out of it, but what made us very good, that he breathed life from what was good, that he just had created a few days prior to create the, the one thing that he desired most, and that was you and I. And God didn't create mankind just because he hadn't created enough. Because as we see, without mankind, the world would be, especially in Coeur it would be green. There would be uh, water. There would be uh, trees everywhere. And it would be beautiful. And to think that God wanted something more than that. He didn't want just something that was pleasing to his eye, but he wanted something that was pleasing to his heart. That's why he created us. Think about this. God created the earth for you and I to enjoy, but he created you and I for himself to enjoy because he desired to be in a deep relationship with us. There was no other reason why he created us but that to be in a deep relationship with us. A destiny was set forth to Adam and Eve that they could walk in the most perfect situation in paradise, in the garden that was so beautiful. And that destiny, destiny he had created from the beginning of time. A destiny where they would be walking and talking with him. And yet man chose to create his own destiny. Moving forward from where Nate left off in Genesis 2, we see where God gives man the first commands he ever gave him. And what I assumed, and what most people assume, is that the first command was to not eat of the tree of the garden of, or eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But let's read Genesis 2, verses 15 through 18. 
says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat. So God's first command to man was of freedom, of extravagance. He wanted us to enjoy the earth that he created just for us. He wanted us to enjoy the abundance of life. Moving forward, it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God gave Adam and Eve a choice. They could choose the fullness and abundance of life, walking in perfect unity and relationship with the God of the universe who loved them, or they could die. And to you and me, the choice seems obvious, but in Genesis 3, a serpent comes to Eve, and he begins to question her, saying, did God really tell you that you shouldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And she says, yes. And he says, well, God didn't want you to eat of the tree because he, he knows that you'll be like him. He knows that your eyes will be open and you'll have an understanding of good and evil. And so pride begins to arise in Eve. She begins to imagine what life would be like if she was her own God. And so she ate of the tree. And thus sin entered the world. And ever since then, man has been scrambling to create his own destiny. Immediately after... Um, Adam and Eve ate of the tree. They tried to cover themselves. It says that they realized for the first time that they were naked and that they were ashamed of it. Another meaning for that word atone, or another meaning for that word cover is atone. And that just means to make right. Adam and Eve knew that they had done something wrong, so they tried to cover themselves. And that was actually the first time that we see religion in the Bible. It doesn't call it that in the scripture, but that's all that it is. And when, is when man is trying to create his own atonement, when man is trying to be his own God. Ever since then, we've seen man time and time again just trying to create his own covering. We see it with Cain, Adam and Eve's son. Um, he used his own ideas of justification when he gave God a fruit offering rather than the animal sacrifice that he required. We see it at the Tower of Babel, the Babylonians trying to build a tower up to heaven, making their own way to God. They try, or, and we see it now. We see it with Americans um, trying to make money, pouring their life into their work and giving all that they have to try and create their own satisfaction somehow and I mean, even in the little things, from a young age, um, a couple weeks ago, I was teaching in Roots, the four- to six-year-olds, and um, it was snack time. So I got out the goldfish for the regular snack, and then we have some gluten-free kids. So the gluten-free snack was like a sugary cereal. And a little girl raises her hand and says, oh, just so you know, I'm gluten-free. So I give her the gluten-free snack, of course, and we clean up the snack after she's all finished. She kind of tiptoes up to me, kind of shy, timidly says, just so you know, um, I was just joking. I'm not actually gluten-free. And isn't that what mankind does? We just lie to cover up our lies, and all we can do is create chaos. That's the name of my sermon, Created Out of Chaos. Ever since the fall of man, we've been hopelessly creating chaos for ourselves because we're trying to be our own gods. We're trying to cover ourselves. We're trying to atone for ourselves. And I don't know if you guys have ever felt this chaos before, but I definitely have. Even being raised in a home where I was taught the love of God and I was taught the truth of God and the grace that he has over my life, I tried to work 
I tried to follow his commands so that I could earn his love rather than obeying his commands because I loved him. And it, these are the reasons why we feel depression. These are the reasons why we feel shame, why we feel guilt like Adam and Eve did. These are the reasons why we experience death. First um, John 1.5 says, This is the message we, had he- we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is, in no, is no darkness at all. So God is light. We are darkness. Where there is light, there cannot be darkness. And where there is darkness, there cannot be light. You and I are eternally separated from God. The one thing that we were created for was stripped from us when we tried to be our own God, when we tried to cover ourselves. And even after we fell, God loved us. He pursued us. We see it time and time again throughout the Old Testament, especially with the Israelites. God graciously corrected them whenever they strayed from the path that he had for them. And that's the reason why there's the animal sacrifice. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. So there has to be innocent bloodshed in order for their sin to be covered. So God gave them a way out. We see that time and time again, God giving them a way out. But the animal sacrifice just wasn't enough. It wasn't eternal. It was every year there had to be an innocent lamb had to shed blood for the sins of the Israelites. If you guys remember back to when we uh, first read at the beginning Genesis 2, it says, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Man shall surely die. Just like I said before from Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life. So as Caitlin was saying, when we were trying to be our own gods and when we were trying to do all these things to make ourselves happy and to, to, get that, to get that freedom we originally had, that life we originally had, it would never work. Once a year, the Israelites had to do animal sacrifices and they had to do it continually again and again and again. Because no matter how many times they would try to cover their sin, no matter how many times they would try to atone for themselves, the covering wouldn't last. Because no matter how pure the animal, the animal may have been, it still couldn't live up to God and God's perfection. And that is why God sent us Jesus, God's perfect son, like God in every way. The sinless to take away the sin. Jesus was our perfect counterpart. He was human like us. He had the same troubles we go through daily. But the difference was that he was God's son. And the reason that God gave his son for us, not only because he loves us, but because if he has his son and he lives on earth and he goes through the same struggles as us, it makes him relatable. God's not some distant God. He's very close to us. He's very personal. And it's all about relationship. And that's what he wants with us. When you accept God into your life, he creates, he creates new life. We were dead. While we were sinners, Christ still died for us. We were dead. But when we accept God into our lives, he creates us new. And it says that in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the way we can become a new creation is stated in Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Further on, in verse 13, it says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that, that doesn't mean that if you acknowledge God as being real, you're saved. Even the demons believe that God exists. They believe he's real, but they don't believe he is their Lord. They don't believe he is their God and their Father. So let me ask you, do you believe today? Do you truly believe? I mean, yes, we can know that God exists, but it's about our heart. It's about where our heart is. Do you believe that God sent his son to die for you? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe that God wants to be in a relationship with you today? He's asking you, will you be my son? Will you be my daughter? Because that's all he ever wanted from us, to be in relationship with us. And Jesus is God's free gift. We don't have to work for it. Romans 5.8, this verse shows, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is genuine, pure, unadulterated love, agape love, the love that only God could have. And he has that love for us because we are his children. We are his creations. He created us to be with him. And so he wants to do everything he can so that we can be with him. But it's our choice. We, we don't have to accept his love. But why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? It's the best love in the world. Whenever you try and work for love, it never lasts. And it's never the way that you think it should be. And God's love is not like that. But I know sometimes I've tried to work for love or approval. I feel like we all have at some point. I know one time when I was a kid, it's a simple story, but it makes my point. Uh, there was this new girl that moved in across the street, and Becca and I went over to go play with her. And I could just tell that she was cool, because we were homeschoolers, and she was a public schooler, and I was just a nerdy little kid. And, so, and she was older than me, which made her automatically even cooler. And so we went over to play with her for the first time, and you know when you're a kid, I don't know why, but the most important question is, what's your favorite color? I don't know why, but that's like the golden question. And so we find out each other's names, and so I'm like, what's your favorite color? And she said, my favorite color is black. And I was thinking in my head, ah, that's dumb. Black's not actually a color. But <laughs> I don't say that. On the outside, I'm like, oh, me too. Oh my gosh. You have so much in common. Wow. But, and then my sister totally calls me out on it. She's like, no, it's not. Your favorite color is like pink or something. Forget what it was at the time. She's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, shut up. I'm trying to get this girl's approval and you just ruined it. But that's how it is. We can work for someone's approval, but, and we may get it for a short period of time, but it doesn't last. God isn't like that. He doesn't, he doesn't need to approve us. He already approved us when Jesus died on the cross for us. All he wants now is for us to come to him just saying, I love you. And he's like, I've been waiting. I've been waiting this entire time with arms wide open. Let me share with you a scripture about some people who thought they had to work for God's love. John 6, 28 through 29. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? 
Jesus answered them and said, this is the work, singular, of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Now these people talking to God, uh, sorry, talking to Jesus were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they were, they were the holy rulers. They thought that they had to do all the good works, and they thought that by doing the good works, it made them better than everyone else, so automatically they should have God's approval. But their hearts were all wrong. They didn't want grace. They wanted to work for it. I don't know why, but they did. And that's so backwards because it's not about religion. It's about relationship. God's not waiting for us to sin, to be like, ha, you're going to hell now. If, if that was how it was, Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross. So numerous times God has proved again and again and again that it is grace and that it is about our hearts. It is not about religion. I'm going to make a bold, bold statement in saying that God hates religion, and I'm going to explain that because when I say that, I mean God hates the fact that we think we have to work for his love, and he hates the fact that we think maybe we can atone for ourselves, making ourselves our own gods. It's about relationship. He wants to be in relationship with you, but you have to accept it. Yes, it's not always easy to be a follower of God. It's not always peaches and cream. Beaten more times than can be numbered, often in danger of death, five times he received from the Thurian lashes, three times he was beaten with rods, stoned once, shipwrecked three times where he spent a night and a day in the deep. He had sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without, often without food and cold and exposure. Writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, at least 13 books of the Bible, he was known to have started over 20 churches, traveling over 10,000 miles on foot. This man I'm referring to is Paul, an apostle of God, and he did all these things to fulfill the purpose that God had called him to, which was to create life, which is in fact the same thing God is calling you and I to do as disciples of Jesus Christ to create life. So now let's see how, we, how he calls us to do that, how he's given us the power to do that. So we saw earlier how Nate talked about how God created this beautiful creation and he gave us this creation and had a plan and a purpose for us. And then we saw how when we came down man and we had this pride in our heart and we just created chaos and took that plan and used it for our own purposes. And because of that, Jesus Christ had to come down and die for us on the cross. He created new life in, that, in us when he did that. And he still creates new life in us. So now after we receive that grace, that free grace of God that Tori was talking about, let's see how God wants to use us to create life, how he's given us the power and authority to create life. So in Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are his workmanship. And real quick, I want to tell you about that word workmanship. It's poema in Greek, that's the word, and it means basically like a creation, something that is made, and has the connotation of like a painting, a masterpiece, a work of art. So just like these paintings are the kids' masterpieces and the people who came to the park yesterday, so we too are God's masterpiece, like Nate was saying. We are his creation, his beautiful work of art. I just think that's so beautiful that they use that word instead of any other Greek word that they could have picked. Um, so it says, and not only that, though, we had a purpose. We're his masterpiece, his creation, and he made us with a purpose. And it wasn't to be the frozen chosen, as we like to say. So let's see what that was. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Four good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So from the very beginning, God created us for a purpose and a plan, like I said, and it was to do good works. It was to create life. And I know some of you are like, well, what does that even mean, really? I mean, like, it sounds beautiful. Like, yeah, we do good works. We create life. I mean, that's cool. But what does that mean practically? I mean, it's kind of vague. 
So let me explain a little more. In John 17, three, Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they, which is us, may believe in you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So that's eternal life is to know God. It says to know him, and that means be in relationship with him. It doesn't mean to know him like, you know, I know like my coworker at work that I really don't talk to. It means to be in relationship with him. And I am convinced that in knowing God, accepting that eternal life that he says, which is knowing him, that in doing that, we automatically create life by the way we love, by the way we talk to people, by the way we serve others, by the way we spread the gospel. It comes from knowing God because we are transformed through the word. He transforms us. I'm not the same person I used to be back in the day, my BC days. He's absolutely transformed me. He made me for good works. Now I love to serve people. I love talking to people. I love building life. I love creating life. And I'm not just bragging to myself, but that's just something that God does in all of us. That when we truly know God, and I don't mean believe like the demons believe and shudder. I mean believe when we truly believe and know God, he transforms us. He wants us to create life. But it's an absolute choice. We have to become obedient to God. And when I say obedient, all I mean is submitting yourself. Submitting yourself to God and his plan for your life, which is far greater than your own plan for your own life. Trust me. Absolutely. But again, it's an absolute choice. I think a lot of people in Christianity today, believers of Christ, they really just stop with the salvation portion. They want that grace. They're like, yeah, I believe in God. I want that free gift. But then when they receive that, when they know they're saved, they're like, well, I'm good now. I'm fine. I'm saved. It's all good. That's all life's about. But I would tell you today that that's not even close to what all life's about. If we think today that life is just about being saved, then we have missed the point of the gospel. We have absolutely missed it. God wants you to do far greater things than just come to church once a week and fellowship with each other once a week. He wants you to be in a relationship. They met house to house and in the church, right? But he wants us to move deeper in relationship. And that doesn't mean once a week at church. He wants you to be in relationship all through the week with your family, with your friends, loving each other as the church. This is not church. We are the church. And he calls us to be in relationship with each other absolute relationship with each other. So if I would say to you guys that if you believe in that, that all life is about is just salvation, just being saved, I would say that's the most important decision you will make. But if that's what you truly believe, then I would say, when did you stop being desperate for God? When did you do it? Was it when you received that gift? Because he wants you to move farther than that. He doesn't want you just to receive that salvation and just sit on the couch. He wants you to keep moving deeper in relationship with him, creating life, accepting that grace that he's given you and that will for your life. And if we say we're Christians, that means we're going to follow God because Jesus says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'll tell you the two greatest commandments Jesus ever laid out for us in the Bible was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So when we do that, when we love God, number one, in our lives, and then love more people more than ourselves, we create life. We truly do. We absolutely do. And not only ways, the, he, when we love people and we do those things, God blesses us for it. It's like the number one way in the Bible, all throughout scripture, of why he blesses people. In Genesis, he says, we are blessed to be a blessing. So he didn't give us the gifts you have. He didn't give you guys the gifts you have and to put you in the places you guys are in in your lives to just sit on the couch. He wants you to move further in relationship with people, to love others, build relationships. And I know that might be uncomfortable for some of you, like, whoa, like, I don't know if I can do that. That's outside my comfort zone. But I'll tell you what, I bet Jesus Christ was outside his comfort zone when they beat him and laid him on the cross, nailed him to him for us. And I guarantee you, Paul was uncomfortable when he was beaten with rods and stoned and shipwrecked. 
and hunger and thirst. I guarantee you they were uncomfortable. So I think that as us, as followers of Jesus Christ, can go outside our comfort zone a little bit because they paid the ultimate prices so that we could have it a little bit easier, that we can just step outside and be like, hey, you want to know about Jesus? Or you can talk to your friends and family. And I know not all of you are going to preach from the pulpit. I mean, that's, that, there's different giftings for different people or preach outside on the street corners, which some of you should. But I'm going to tell you that he's, you can start with just one person with loving on your family, your friends. When you go home to your spouse, love on them. Show them the love of Christ. We are supposed to convey that love everywhere we go with whoever we come in contact with. We are supposed to convey that. So we can start with just one, your brother, your sister, your family, whoever. See, God, it's God's kingdom, but he has made us heirs. God is the one in authority, but he has given you and I authority. God is the creator, but he uses us to create. We all create something. We truly do. It's either good or bad. There's no middle ground. God wants to use you to create good things. There's no middle ground. Like I said, Jesus says you are either for me or against me. You can't sit in the middle. You cannot sit in the middle. You are either creating life or you are creating death. And you might not think of it as creating death, but it is. If you're not doing anything, you're, you're not creating life. And that's what he calls us to do. And I would say today, he would ask you, are you available? Are you willing to create that life that he has planned out for you, which is greater than the things that you have for yourself? Trust me. God wants us to move deeper and deeper in relationship with him, to love other people, to show that grace of God everywhere we go, to love people, spread the gospel. I mean, it's just the fact that we were created to create. Jesus did it. Paul did it. But the question is today, will you do it? Woo! Wow. 